When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from the Tech Sideline offices in beautiful Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm your host, Evan Hughes, and pleased to be joined this week by Tech Sideline founder, and as it says in his Twitter bio, the head honcho, Will Stewart, and managing editor, Chris Coleman. Gentlemen, it is game week. It is upon us, but more importantly, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great, and you know, I just, I just realized why you were talking about my Twitter bio. One thing I do in my Twitter bio is I like to put movie and uh, song quotes in the Twitter bio and then challenge people to identify them without Googling them. So I think each week at the beginning of the podcast, we ought to give them what my latest quote is. And then towards the end, I'll tell you what it's from. All right. So let's hear it. What is it right now? So so this current quote on my uh, Twitter profile is roll down the glass and give me some wind. All right. Now I drive a Mazda Miata. I got a picture of the Miata there in the profile. A hint is the next line is lock all the doors. I'm on the loose again. All right. And so, we'll, we'll release that at the end of the podcast. We will. I'm sure everybody will wait with bated breath. Chris Coleman, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I kind of like these Monday games uh, from the standpoint of you get the weekend ahead. Of them, so you're off for two days and then there's a football game. And if, imagine that for Saturday. Imagine like if you were off Thursday and Friday before a football game. So since you bring it up, um, I'm going to be traveling to a lot more road games this year, which is kind of disappointing from the standpoint that uh, I always use the tech road games to watch other college football games. And I won't really be able to do that. Let's see, we'll be in Tallahassee, ODU, uh, Duke, maybe UNC. So then, you know, that's four Saturdays. I'm not going to be able to watch college football. Right. And that's a reason I like the Thursday games is you can do the tech game on a Thursday night and then just watch college football all weekend. So – I agree with Chris. It's nice to have a, either have no game or have a game on an off day so you can watch other college football games. So with Virginia Tech playing on a Monday of this week, are there any games that jump out to you this weekend that you're definitely looking forward to watching? Uh, you know, I sent one of my friends an email uh, earlier this week saying, okay, this is what we're going to do on Saturday. We're going to go to the bar and we're going to watch college football all day and here's the schedule. <laughs> and I got it all planned out. But I think the one that I'm really looking forward to is not because I like either one of the teams. It's because I, quite frankly, dislike both teams. It's Tennessee and West Virginia. I'm really looking forward to watching that game. And I, I, and I won't be rooting for anyone because I, I don't like either one. Right. I'll tell you, my game I'm most looking forward to is Florida Atlantic, Oklahoma. I'm okay. excited to see Lane Kiffin year two against Oklahoma and Kyler Murray. I think that's going to be a surprise game of the week. Surprise game, huh? Yeah. That, no. That's a noon game, right? A noon game, noon game. yep. And then there are going to be so many other great ACC games to look at as well with Miami uh, and LSU. I mean, you mentioned it, Tennessee, West Virginia. I can't wait to see how Will Greer looks. And then on uh, Sunday, there's a great game as well, and that is the Miami, uh, Miami-LSU game, I believe. I believe you're right. And also Saturday night, you've got Notre Dame and Michigan. Who do you like in that game? Ooh, you know, I, I really think it depends on what happens, you know, how good is Michigan's quarterback play going to be this year. It hasn't been particularly good and, uh, despite Harbaugh's. You know, history 
history with one quarterback. Right. Quite frankly. As a um, uh, as Will Stewart's breaking the set in here accidentally. This is hilarious. I'm doing what you should never do. I'm over here messing with my pop filter while we're recording, and it's coming off yeah, the handle. And so you guys are going to have to carry it for a little bit. Well, I think this is a great time to bring up our sponsor for the Tech Sideline right. Podcast. This and every week, the TSL Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses, from their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7037 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. As Will said last week, they've been proud partners with Tech Sideline for quite some time. We're excited to have them back on board here in 2018 and 19. Yes, we are. Just in time because Will has fixed his uh, set. Not really. I'm just holding it. <laughs> uh, Will, you had uh, something you wanted to mention about last week's podcast, which, by the way, over 2,000 people uh, listened in yesterday. Thanks so much for all of your support. We look forward to making these podcasts every week. Right. So we got some feedback about volume levels uh, last week. So we've taken some steps to try to fix that this week. We've turned up the recording volume a little bit. When we edit, we'll also increase the volume a little bit. We also got some reports about things being a little out of balance. Um, so the listening audience knows we've got, on our recorder, we've got two mic inputs. And Evan and I are running off of a combiner, so we're on the same input. Chris is on a different input. So if Chris sounds a little uh, more smooth and debonair and then loud to you, it's because he's got his own mic and his I own input. I anybody will ever accuse me of sounding debonair. Excuse me while I go look that up. I used it. And I'm not exactly sure what it means. All right. Doesn't so, sound like something to, to describe me. So give us uh, if if you have some issues this week again, give us some feedback. We'll keep working on it. Still to come in the Tech Sideline podcast, we've got our new poll question of the week that I'll be doing on Twitter for each podcast. It'll be retweeted by Tech Sideline on Twitter. I'll have it on my poll. This week's question, going back to last week's podcast, we're going to wrap up the debate of Tyrod or Tarod. Also, we'll have fan questions later in the podcast as well. You get to ask uh, the geniuses of Chris Coleman and Will Stewart about tech football. That's all coming up. Well, guys, this week in preparation uh, to Florida State, some of the big news that dropped on on Wednesday morning was the depth chart, the ones and the twos for each position. And you look at it, there were some surprises in there. There were some obvious, as we know, of course, QB1 being Josh Jackson. That was announced earlier. But, Chris, let me start with you on this. At the whip position, we will not see Devin Hunter starting. How much of a surprise was that to you? You know, considering we didn't even know that Khalil Labler was working at whip, it's surprising. But when you consider how well he played at free safety at the end of last year and his overall skill sets, and the fact that he, like Devin Hunter, was also a former four-star recruit with a big offer list, I guess it's not too surprising from that standpoint. He's got more experience playing defense at the college level than, than Devin Hunter. Uh, Hunter's a bigger player. Um, he's a better overall athlete. But at 200, 225 pounds, he's being asked to defend slot receivers. And, you know, that, that can be difficult if you're not used to it. And when it comes down to it, Khalil Lotto played free safety last year. Devin Hunter played rover. The whip spot is closer to free safety than it is to rover in, in, in far, as far as similarities go and in what, you're, what you're asked to do as a player because it's on the wide side of the field lined up over slot receivers. Uh, so I, I think from that standpoint, it's not surprising because Devin Hunter – while he's you know, a bigger, better athlete than Quill Ladler, 
his role has completely changed, switching from the boundary side to the wide side of the field and being asked to, to cover slot receivers instead of tight ends and things like that. So uh, big adjustment period. Uh, it's not surprising too – well, it's not too surprising now that I know it. I, I just did not know that Ladler had been working at that position basically the entire month of August. So those coaches are tricky, man. You know, they, they don't let us into scrimmages and they don't give us depth charts and, you know, here you go. Um, I think, you know, what you, what you see this week, one of the points being made this week is, is Ladler starting over um, Devin. That ne- won't necessarily be the rotation the rest of the season. Well, something to consider, you know, Chris mentioned this, Ladler played in 13 games last year, started two of them. This is a big game on the road against a really good opponent. Uh, so one aspect of this may be just that they're going with the, the the player who actually has game experience in the defense. The other thing is, Chris helped me out here, Hunter weighs 225. 225. Ladler is 192. That's 30 pounds difference. Um, one of the things that one of the insiders on our message board is saying is that Hunter has not been as good in coverage as Ladler. So I start wondering, are you going to see uh, Hunter in uh, on plays that are more likely to be running plays, Ladler in on plays that are more likely to be passing plays? I don't see them doing that kind of thing at Florida State. I don't, I don't think they want to muddy the waters with that kind of stuff. Also, throughout the season, if you do that switch, then opposing coaches will pick up on it and, and adjust their play calling accordingly. Sure. But these are just things I wonder about, and I think it's something to watch as the season goes on. I think uh – kind of rumored all summer or talked about all summer that we expect Virginia Tech to be fairly aggressive against Florida State defensively simply because there's so much youth and, and you don't want you don't want these young young linebackers you don't want to weigh them down with a lot mentally you don't want their mind tying up their feet in this kind of atmosphere so I think for a lot of people expect Virginia Tech to to blitz a decent amount and play a lot of man coverage on the back end and if that's true I think this is showing that maybe they they, they do trust Khalil Ladler against a slot receiver more in man coverage right now than they do with 225-pound Devin Hunter. Now, that doesn't mean that by the end of the year, you know, Devin Hunter will have not will, will have not progressed, you know, because he's still a very young player. In hindsight, I think he could have been redshirted last year because remember he had concussion, uh, he had a concussion syndrome in, in the preseason. Then he had a hamstring injury, um, I, I, and they were playing him quite frankly on the kickoff team, and all the kickoffs are getting boomed through the end zone, so he wasn't really getting any. Not like he was out there tackling people. No, I do believe they gave him, or there was talks about him being redshirt, but he really wanted to play oh, last when year. You're a top fifty national recruit. You're going to play. They're going to play. And you know, and he's good enough. He was good enough to play as a true freshman. I mean, he was big enough, strong enough, fast, fast enough to contribute on special teams. And you know, it's tough to ask guys like that to sit. Sure. Yeah, and you don't want the inmates to run the asylum, but you also don't want Devin Hunter going back to the seven five seven unhappy with this situation. Sure. You know, and, and coaches would never admit publicly to taking that into account. But you got to wonder. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot to look at on the defensive side of the ball later in the podcast. We'll take a look at the linebacking core. Last week, we really kind of highlighted the offense a little bit more than the defense, so we'll be sure to take a look uh, at each position as we go out uh, the Tech Sideline podcast this week. Well, guys, with this being uh, the first game of the season, obviously preparation is very different uh, than it would be with a Saturday game compared to a Monday game. So it... Taking a look at at this from the outside, with there being a two-day difference of kickoff, how does that change preparation uh, for Coach Fuente and his staff? Yeah, he noted on media day that they're going to have one extra Tuesday practice, So, which I guess their Tuesday is is actually Thursday this week. But they're going to have two Tuesday-like practices, basically. And and also, to me, I think it 
what I like is that their normal Thursday practice will be on a Saturday, so that yeah, they can practice in the morning when it's cool, and, mm-hmm. and, and they don't have to worry about class. Because you know, of class, like yeah. That. Yeah, so I, I think they can they can really focus in those last couple of days because they, they won't have class. And in case you're wondering, they will travel on Sunday. So they'll, they'll get down there, you know, I guess get in the hotel room, uh, probably do a walkthrough on Sunday, and then uh, that's got to be a long time to wait on Monday, waiting for that 8 p.m. kickoff. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, you know, waiting for the football game. We, we played them at night, and I remember being around school during the day, just couldn't wait to get out there and play football, you know. And there's only so much you can do all day. You know, at this point, you've been preparing for Florida State for a long time. There's only so much you can do sit around your hotel and watch more film. I mean, right. If you're not prepared at this point, you know, you're not you're flat out not going to be prepared. So you can sit around and do walkthroughs and things like that on Monday. But at that point, man, your mind is wandering. You're just ready to get out there and play the game. So, so I wonder, you know, I, I imagine they may, may watch the Miami and LSU game on Sunday night. Sure. One game I noticed you guys didn't say you were looking forward to, and I'm not looking forward to this game, is Alabama and Louisville. Okay. I, I think that's going to be a disaster for Louisville. I, and I, I don't even know why uh, Louisville's playing the game. I, I was talking to Bill Roth about this, so. If, uh, Name dropper. If this is if this is wrong, blame Bill Roth because I haven't looked it up myself. <laughs> but he told me that uh, you know Alabama's getting the majority of the purse for this game. Like back when Virginia Tech played Alabama and Atlanta, the teams would split the purse. But Alabama got sick of doing that for these neutral site games because most of the time they're bringing like seventy five or eighty percent of the fans, yeah. and eighty percent of the people watching on television are watching because of Alabama and not because of Louisville. So I think Alabama's getting something like seventy five percent of the purse from this game. So Louisville's going all the way down to to Florida with a brand new quarterback, and they're going to get stomped by Alabama, and and they're they're going to do do it for twenty five percent of the gate or something like that. I mean, it's just I think it's a silly, silly decision by Louisville. I, I think you, you you play a home game, you get your young quarterback ready to play, you, you you're not going to be brutally banged up after playing a, a minor league NFL team like Alabama. I mean, I just, I don't, I would not play Alabama on a neutral site game. And no I, way. Yeah, and, and neutral, neutral is in air quotes because you know, anytime you go on the road in the southeast against Alabama, you're you're way I'd, out. I'd rather, I'd rather play them at a home and home. I'd rather no. play a road game at Alabama because at least Virginia Tech would get would get a. Uh, as, not, as, but Alabama would never agree. SEC don't play that, they man. Don't play they, that. they don't do that. The spread for that game is 25 and a half points. I, I'm thinking over wow. for that. For, uh, <laughs> okay, Alabama. I didn't know it was that much. Bringing a brand new quarterback. And Juwan Bass is a talented guy, but I just I think Alabama is just going to completely run over and around him. Oh, I don't think it's going to be close. Yeah, you know, and, and not to compare uh, apples and oranges because Florida State and Louisville are not the same, but look what happened to Florida State last year. They lost their starting quarterback, yeah, yeah. you know, and and – they had other issues. I think the team pretty much quit on the coach, you know, but that, that was a bad start for them. Last thing on preparation, and we can touch on this more of next week, but with the game being on Monday, that also gives you a shorter week to prepare for William & Mary, the home opener on Saturday. So with that game ending on Monday, you know, the team's going to be getting back early, early Tuesday morning. So how does that week change for William & Mary preparation? Good question. Uh, Justin Fuente said they'd get home around 6 a.m. on Tuesday. They're not going to practice on Tuesday. They won't get their first practice in, I'm sure, until Wednesday. So they'll get a Wednesday practice in, Thursday practice in, and then a walk-in, well, excuse me, a walk-through on Friday. So they're basically only going to have two days of, of preparation, really, for or two days of full practicing for the William & Mary game. And that that's happened to Virginia Tech before. Um, you know, obviously in 2010 when they lost to Boise State, uh, they didn't get home until the wee hours of, of the morning. And 
did not practice on Tuesday, started practicing on Wednesday, and then lost to JMU on Saturday. That game was not lost because of lack of practice time. It was lost when they lost to Boise State. And, and just, you know, it was just one of those weeks. Um, and you remember that was a rainy day, too. It was. You oh, know, it, it was. And, if, and, if that had been a nice sunny day in Blacksburg, I wonder. Sure, I wonder how it sure. would have gone. And, uh, exactly. And uh, there was another time uh, they opened the season on a Monday against Georgia Tech. And then I think they played Austin P. Austin P. Yeah. Later. Was that the but, turkey? But, that was the turkey track helmet yeah, game. I think you're right. Austin P. Was. Yeah, but, but they didn't have to uh, travel, and the, you know they, yeah. they, they handled Austin P. Easily. Uh, so I, I'm not. It's it's tough as a coach, you know, because because you, you want to get more in. Obviously, you you want to add as much as you can, and you just you just don't have time to do it this week. But at the same time. Uh, you know whether Virginia Tech has five days to prepare, or seven days to prepare, or, or three days, or however many Virginia Tech should beat William and Mary. That should not be a problem. Well, taking a look at Florida State as we transition, they also made headlines this week, announcing DeAndre Francois as their starting quarterback. Didn't come to a surprise to Coach Fuente as he alluded to on Tech Talk Live because of his talent. But let's not forget that. Florida State was pre-ranked third in the country last year with Francois returning as their quarterback, and he was a Heisman hopeful, and then, of course, he gets injured like we talked about earlier against Alabama. He really is a heck of a talent, and it didn't come as a surprise to me over James Blackman that he would be the starter. What kind of uh, um, problems could he pose to the Virginia Tech defense early? You know, I, I think he'll be a bigger, stronger version of, of, of the DeAndre Francois we saw a couple of years ago. I, I, I don't know if Willie Taggart has a quarterback there that is a 100% fit for his offense right now. I, I think Francois is a solid runner, a solid straight-ahead runner. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think he's a, a real nifty guy, per se. Um, now, I haven't seen him play in a couple of years, and I maybe only saw him play a couple, two or three times that year. So I, I certainly do not have a full DeAndre Francois scouting report down. Um, to me, it's, it's just – I think he was named the starter because he probably showed the, the ability to run their offense more efficiently. And it's not a particularly complicated do op- offense to run. You, you know, they, they don't have a whole lot of plays. They don't do a whole lot of adjustments and, and things like that. But it, but it is very fast tempo. And, and your mind has to, has to work over time to a certain extent. It has to uh, – your mind has to work a little bit faster in that offense than, than it would in other offenses. And, and, I, and I think with him getting named – starting quarterback, I think it shows that he's able to, you know, simply get the plays off faster than than the other quarterback. And I think Taggart said that uh, Francois was making fewer mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't looked at their roster to see what Blackman weighs now. Uh, Yeah, he was only about 170 last year. Yeah. And And he was only a three-star recruit, too. I think everybody's under the impression that everybody on Florida State is a five-star player, and that's that's not true. I mean, even Clemson, like 50% or more of the roster at Clemson is made up of three-star recruits. They were just really, really good three-star recruits with a lot of offers. So, you know, as far as Blackman being a fit for that offense, you know, if you're going to run your quarterback a lot, he needs to weigh more than 170 pounds, you know. So, again, he needs to be really, really fast. And, right. And Blackman, honestly, is a pocket-passing pocket passing quarterback from what yeah. we saw last year. Yeah. Well, speaking of Willie Taggart, listening into Tech Talk Live on Monday, there were a lot of things that stood out. But one thing that was really interesting was hearing Justin Fuente talk about uh, his relationship with Willie Taggart and how the two of them go back quite some time. When Fuente was at uh, TCU as an assistant, he was at Stanford. They played a couple of times, and they were both 
head coaches in the American Conference at South Florida and Memphis, and now here they are in the ACC at Florida State and Virginia Tech. They're both 42 years old, same age, and here they are going at it on, on Monday night, on, on Labor Day night in prime time. How, how neat is that story? Yeah, it seems like sometimes, whether you're a coach or you're a player, there's somebody on the other side that you just can't see. Just keep before. encountering the same guy, yeah. yeah. It's just the way it is. Um, I'm sure Frank Beamer had, had that guy at some point in his career, although – you know, he coached at Virginia Tech for <laughs> He was there a long time. It's, it's hard for me to remember, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and for Fuente's three and zero against Taggart as, as a head coach, and uh, you know, I, I've heard some stuff. You know, this week that Oregon fans did not think Taggart was a very good coach. They, they called his offense was specifically too a play caller. Yeah, yeah and that the offense is too caller, simple, right? And, but but that's the thing about Taggart is his offense is simple. I mean, they should have known that when they hired him. I mean, he he didn't show anything at Oregon that was unexpected. I mean, it was a simple offense. It's just fast-paced, right? And uh, so, uh, to me, I, I don't, I don't know what they're complaining about. If they were complaining about him at the end of his tenure, then they should have been complaining about him at the beginning. If they did any kind of research about him at all. Yeah, he was only there one year, right? Yeah. Well, I do want to ask you this question. We, we we've seen it before when Justin Fuente first got here in that Tennessee game, but for Willie Taggart opening up his coaching career against Virginia Tech on a night game when everyone is still getting familiar with the coaching staff and the playbook, is there any advantage, if at all, in your eyes that Virginia Tech has going up against a brand new head coach? I think uh, I think it's just in that team getting familiar with that offense and whether or not the personnel. Fits, fits the offensive scheme at this point in time. Everybody talks about, oh, Florida State's got a terrible offensive line. Uh, backing off a little bit from the issue of whether or not they have a new coach or an old coach, I, I think, you know, you talked about Florida State being ranked third at the beginning of the 2017 season, correct? Well, now they're ranked, uh, what is it, around number 20 or so. I think their talent overall on the team level is probably better than 20th. I don't think that they, they what they do go seven and six last year, barely made a bowl game. Yeah, remember, they had to reschedule Louisiana Monroe yeah, late so in December could, to so get, get the bowl. Back. Yeah, I, they just you know, I, I, you really shouldn't say this kind of stuff about coaches and players, but the players just quit on that coaching staff. I watched Florida State and Boston College, and Florida State just laid down for them. Not to take anything away from Boston College because they've got some talent, but there was no life in, in Florida State. So it's one of those deals where. I find this game fascinating because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, some games you have an idea. This one, I have no clue. You know, Is Florida State going to go out there and be super motivated and play up to their talent level and just smash Virginia Tech? Or are they going to go out there too excited because it's a night game and just lose their heads? You know, That's what happened to the Hokies in that 2010 Boise State game. Tech came out and they were too excited and they were just awful in the first quarter and they were down 17 to nothing. It's just uh, – there's just so much to this game that I think is really fascinating, and it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know, don't know how to predict the game. Um, I, have, I have no idea. Um, tech, some Tech fans might think they know. They don't know. Some Florida State fans think they might know. They, they don't know. How could you know? I mean, up until 11, 11 o'clock Wednesday morning, I was 100% convinced that Devin Hunter was going to be Virginia Tech's starting whip. Yeah. It's just impossible, impossible to make these predictions when you – you don't know what to believe coming out of practice and, and, and what not to believe or when there's no info at all. Well, speaking of predicting this game, we'll get to uh, Will and Chris's prediction a little bit later in the podcast. We'll get back to Florida State uh, in just a moment. I do want to take some time and take a look at the defensive side of the ball because as we touched on last week, that was one of the biggest storylines of the offseason was how Virginia Tech 
would be able to replace some players on the defensive side. I want to start at the linebacker position. You know, a name that since I've gotten back to Blacksburg in the last two weeks, I've heard a lot about is Rayshard Ashby, uh, the play of him at linebacker, and of course Dax Hollifield. He was the uh, prized recruit, so to speak, of, uh, of this class coming in. Uh, as a freshman, then of course Dylan Rivers has really stood out as well. They've got to replace a lot of production at linebacker. Uh, how do you see the three of those guys and others uh, contributing Week One at Florida State? Richard Ashby is only about an inch taller than me. Uh, he's also about forty-five pounds heavier than me. I mean, this dude is a tank, and it's all muscle. Um, he he kind of reminds me of like like a Virginia Tech fullback from the nineteen nineties. He looks like a, a Brian Edmonds or a Marcus Parker type the way he's built. Um, I think he's going to be a pretty strong player at the point of attack. I don't, I don't know how he'll hold up in, in, in coverage over the middle, especially in you know, Tampa 2 when he has to get really deep and things like that. But I think he'll be a good player for Tech. Uh, more worried about the backer spot. Uh, you got a, another true sophomore there in Dylan Rivers. Behind him is a true freshman in Dax Holyfield. Holyfield was highly, highly touted, but, but so was Dylan Rivers. Dylan right. Rivers was a four-star recruit also who flipped from Penn State to Virginia Tech a couple months before signing day. It's a big get for the Hokies. Uh, I don't think that battle was as close as maybe it was when practice started because there was no or between the two players' names when the depth chart came out yesterday. So I, I think I think Rivers won at fair and square. I do think we'll see Dax Holyfield on defense this year. I just don't think it'll be against Florida State. I don't, I don't think you would put a true freshman in the game at, at linebacker in, in, in that very first contest. The coaches have been effusive in their praise for Rayshard Ashby. Um, they compare him to Andrew Matuapalaka. As I'm not a, I was not a fan of Matuapalaka against the run. Um, if he was in the, he tended to not be in the right place against the run. And if he wasn't in the right place, he wasn't very physical. He did a lot of what I call uh, catch and fall. He, he had a lot of tackles, but a lot of them were grabbing onto a guy and falling with him two and three yards forward. He was, however, very good against the pass. The and, best and, Mike backer in Tech history, I think, yeah. against the pass. And just, just a, an unbelievable nose for the ball. How many touchdowns did he have in his career? Three. At least three, yeah. yeah. He just always seemed to be around the ball. And I think when Reggie Floyd had that interception return for a touchdown last year, I think it was Matua Pawaka that batted it at the line. So that's an underappreciated part of his game. Everybody can see him getting run over at the goal line or going into the wrong gap against the run. But there are subtleties to defending the pass when you're playing the mic position that – that fans don't see, and I don't see it. I'm not that astute of a football observer. Um, so, anyway, to get back to the, the topic of Ashby, uh, the coaches really like him. And the fact that he's short pretty much doesn't matter, except maybe in some of those deep drops like Chris said. But I can't wait to see him play because they love him so much. Um, he's young. You know, this, this is his first significant experience. He might make some mistakes this year, but you got to figure if he holds that spot, which is, it looks like he's going to, he's going to be really good as a junior and a senior. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I, they've already put him on the leadership council of, of the team, which shows they trust him as a go-between between the regular players and the coaching staff. And you want your Mike linebacker to be that kind of leader, that person, that type of person. So what do we know about that leadership council? They keep uh, mentioning it. Is it like one guy from each position group or uh, what? I think I don't know if there's a player from offense, a player from defense, and a player from special teams. I know Bradburn is on it from special teams. Um, I don't know if it's one from special teams, two from offense, two from defense, or just one from each from, from, or how it works, honestly. It's, but but it's a, you're basically, if you're on the leadership council, you're a liaison between – players and the coaches so if you have a question as a player or you have an issue as a player about something you can talk to that person on the leadership council let's say Dax Holyfield 
is having trouble adapting or something as a true freshman. And, and he can talk to Rayshard Ashby. And Rayshard Ashby can talk to the coaches. Uh, or he can just take care of the issue himself. himself. Right. Um, uh, he already knows the answer to the question himself. So for the fact that they're, the fact of the matter is that you know, they put that on a true sophomore. And Bradburn's a true sophomore also. Shows, uh, shows what they feel about those guys. And one thing that Justin Fuente alluded to on Tech Talk Live as well this past week was how Oscar Bradburn is the veteran in the special teams room right now. He, after last year when he was the newcomer as a freshman, here he is having to lead the special teams essentially with the experience. And he mentioned too he liked the fact that how sometimes it works out to where they've got a new long snapper but Bradburn's back. And you, you, every year you, you have somebody who's back and somebody who's new, so that could really complement the special teams. Bradburn is, is a character He's a character in front of the media. He's very polished in front of the media. For, for a foreign kid coming into a different environment, I understand Australians and Americans speak the same language, but I guarantee those cultures are completely different living in those two different countries. So it's, he's, I think he's managed the culture shock extremely well and been very polished in front of American media. You can tell that, that he's a character when he is in front of the media, and I bet he's even more of a character behind the scenes. I bet he's like the, the kicker and the replacements. <laughs> I still want to see him tackle somebody. I do and I don't. Yes. If, if he's tackling somebody, that means they've kind of gotten downfield on the return. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so if Virginia Tech is up, you know, 64 to 17 against East Carolina again, sure, let, let, let him return yeah. one. Didn't he say something last year in a press conference about tackling somebody? There was something about – a family radio show. It's so mild profanity. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he has been a, a great personality. I look forward to watching him. And while we're talking about special teams and Bradburn, you know, there was a kicking battle uh, this year. Joey Sly is gone. We saw uh, Jordan Stout and, and – uh, and um, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson, who was named the starter today. What have you seen from the two of them? What have you heard throughout camp? And are you surprised to see Johnson get the nod? Not really. Fuente is, uh, well, first of all, we haven't seen anything <laughs> throughout camp. Uh, he, he, said, he said they were even, basically. Yeah, Fuente said he didn't have a problem with throwing any, either one of those guys out there. Uh, Stout's going to kick off is what it looks like. Right. And he's got a, a stronger leg. Um, and Johnson, I guess, showed more accuracy. Um, now, Johnson did kick off last year when, when Sly was hurt and put about 50% of his kickoffs in the end zone for touchbacks. So if Stout was able to outdo that, then I think that's yeah. a pretty good sign. So, And I think Johnson went three or four on his field goal attempts. So I'm okay with it. I, I don't know right now that if Virginia Tech needed a 45-yarder to win a field goal game, I'd have no, I'd have no idea what to expect, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, did you guys watch much college football last weekend, and did you, did you get a chance to see what kickoff return teams were doing with the new rule? I was still in baseball mode this past yeah. I, I was watching uh, Bill Roth on Saturday night at the uh, his high school football game of the week. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a mismatch. It was. 38-0 yeah. the final. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I watched. I sort of watched the Colorado State game. It uh, it went poorly for Colorado State at first, so I kind of lost my focus. But I remember a few kickoffs where they kicked it down to the ten, and the kids tried to return it. Now here's the deal: if it's inside the twenty-five and you fair catch it, it comes out to the twenty-five. I think I saw players trying to return kicks from inside the ten, and I didn't see somebody get beyond the twenty-five yard line. So that's another thing to watch is is. What will uh, what will the Hokies do with that? What will they decide to do? Will they decide to to? Now I don't mean run it out. You can take a knee in the end zone. I'm talking about between the zero and the right. twenty five. So. I think big plays are the keys to football these days. I, I don't I don't think that you can pick up as many five ga- five yard gains as you want. It's not going to matter. I, I think Virginia Tech and Oklahoma. If you look at statistically, 
in a, in a lot of metrics last year were pretty much the same offense, except Oklahoma State had about five times as many big plays as, or excuse me, Oklahoma, Oklahoma had yeah. five, five times as many big plays as Virginia Tech. Or Oklahoma State. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Virginia Tech had the ball twice as much as Oklahoma State. They dominated the ground game. They controlled the ball. Time of possession. They had a billion five-yard plays in that game. Oklahoma State hit like three big plays, and that was it. That so was yeah, so Tech had that that one drive. It was their first or second drive where they basically drove the length of the field. I don't remember the particulars. Right. Something ridiculous like ninety five yards and seventeen plays, and yeah. and then what happened? They got down near the goal line and fumbled sure. or something sure. like that. Yeah. If Chances it, are, twelve something wrong is going to happen over the course of. 12 yeah, hours. if you have an explosive play at some point in there, you're not taking that seventeenth snap and and yes. you know losing the football. Exactly right, and uh, so to me. I'd tell my guys to return it. Unless I just thought I had horrible blocking uh, on my kickoff return team or my returners were just horrible, which I don't think is going to be the case. Try to make something happen. I'd tell my guys to return it. If they get tackled at the 20-yard line instead of the 25, so what? We're talking about five yards. It's big plays that win games anyway. Maximize your chances of big plays. Let them return the kickoffs. But hopefully hopefully they don't have to return that many kickoffs this year. Yeah, so so who are the returners? For Who are the kickers? Sweetly and Caleb Farley. Well, okay, Farley's an important player. We, Very important. Wheatley's, yeah, so, um, but you bring up the point, If so if let's say you catch it at the 8-yard line and you only get back out to the 20. So what? What's the difference between 75 yards and 80 yards? Right, sure. But you might break one, get it out to the 40, the 50, or further. Yeah. All right. Well, there were a lot of big plays last year on special teams, too. You know, Virginia Tech, you know, returning the football. I'm, I'm excited to see how the return team looks against Florida State. Right, exactly. I think you're really going to miss Greg Stroman is what I think. Yeah. And, and that's, that's no that's no insult to the guys they have, but, man, Stroman was Speaks re- to the talent level of him. He, he was good at – and the coaches have said this a couple times. Stroman was good at every part of it, catching the football. And I get a, I get a kick out of Fuente. He said at least twice this preseason, uh, somebody's like, how do you decide who's going to return punts? And Fuente goes – well, first you got to get a guy who can catch the football, you know? <laughs> and so. Yeah, well, it's just—it's an underappreciated job. Um, you got to be a brave, brave guy to to do that, and particularly do it how Greg Stroman did it. I mean, that guy would run up there in traffic. There'd be bodies falling. Oh, that Clemson game. He wasn't mm-hmm. worried about getting hit. Um, he wasn't worried about making a mistake. Uh, you just got to be a very, very brave guy. One thing Joseph Fuente alluded to about Greg Stroman's return, he was a great communicator as well back yep, there, and they had yep. a lot of trust in him. Uh, so no, no doubt pulling for uh, Stro with the uh, the Redskins. He is wearing the 25 jersey with Washington. Right. How about okay. that? He really That's interesting. enjoyed that role in Virginia Tech. Whenever yeah. he got to wear the 25, particularly when he re- returned the, uh, the punt for a touchdown. It's always cool. Was it the East Carolina game last year when he returned it wearing the 25? Two years ago in 2016. Yep. Like, and didn't... always talks about that. Yeah, that's a special. Well, we did mention Caleb Farley, and that does transition uh, into our next topic. Chris, you had a great article uh, that's available on TechSideline.com right now regarding the youth in the secondary, but especially at the cornerback. Found it very interesting. Uh, how much of an impact are we going to see from guys like Javon Quillen, uh, Bryce Watts, but especially Caleb Farley? I mean, what what a career. I mean, starting at corner, moving the receiver, getting her back to corner. I'm excited to finally see him suit up and play a game. These, uh, these starters – or how they expected them to be. Um, I think uh, I think Javon Quillen. He's the more experienced guy, and the fact that he's a junior, but all, but even he hasn't played defense before. So from that standpoint, you know, there's a, there's virtually no no difference in experience. Uh, I think Watts and Farley, especially Farley, have the highest ceilings of, of those guys. I, I think I think Quillen is maybe a high floor guy. 
but but a low ceiling, you know, from an athletic standpoint. I, I thought he was excellent when he got a chance on was a gunner on the punt team last year. But I think his best role was continue to play special teams and be a backup corner. That's my opinion. I, I think long term you play these young guys right now and, and you're gonna get a very good return on that investment, so to speak. Uh, probably sooner rather than later in my opinion. I have no opinion on the matter. <laughs> Evan's looking at me going, yes, Will, and I'm thinking, ah, nothing. That's all right. We'll move on to a side. I know everybody uh, loves to talk about the offense, but especially the running back spot. We talked about the receiving core, how deep that is last week, but the running back core is very interesting. If you look at Deshaun McLeese, his final three games last year, I believe it went 71 yards, 72 yards, then about 120 uh, in the bowl game, and that was a great way, I thought, to send him and the running back group into the offseason he's kind of kind of seems to be the guy out of the group even though there's going to be um, a rotating group of guys in the backfield I think when I look at this offense uh, Chris that Deshaun McLeese has a chance to have a breakout season I think McLeese at the end of last year and actually in any game in which he got 10 or more carries last year he averaged five yards or more um, and I think by the end of last season he had established himself as Virginia Tech's best running back in my opinion he was very consistent. Uh, he didn't lose yardage very much. Um, he was very good in the in the moderate games. Not what he lacked is big plays. And well, he also lacked yards after contact. Generally, where he got hit was where he went down. Yeah, well, you know, because that's his size. So you're going to yeah. expect that from somebody his size. Um, fortunately, we did see a long touchdown run from him in the spring game. So hopefully, that's a sign of things to come. He's, he's bulked up a little bit, up to 197 pounds. Um, you know, people, so you know what you're getting from him. He, you know, he's a bowling ball in between the tackles. Type. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably not going to be a big play guy. Um, to me, the most interesting thing is, is what will happen at the third tailback spot and whether Virginia Tech will use that third tailback or whether they're just going to be a two-man rotation this year. Terry Sweetley versus Jalen Holston. You know, last year it was Holston. But to me, if you, if you look at the regular stats and you look at the advanced stats, Holston and Peoples are pretty much the same guy. Neither one of them generated a run longer than 14 yards last year. They both averaged about the same yards per carry, everything. Um if, if you're searching for big plays in the offense, if that's your number one need, why to play two running backs that aren't big play backs? So to me, you pick one of Peoples or Holston. And just go with them. And, and it's obviously Peoples. It's going to be Peoples, right. yeah. Um, and then your third back is going gonna, is, is gonna to be your big play guy, Wheatley. He's, gonna, he's got a chance to generate more big plays than a guy like Jalen Holston. So – I mean, I mean, I want the best back to win. I, I would pull for for individual players over others. But to me, from a, an efficiency standpoint, if I, I would very much like for Wheatley to earn that role, because I think he provides a better chance at big plays. And like I said, I think big plays are the key to football these days. Well, I see a lot of Sam Rogers and Stephen Peoples a little. I think they're very similar runners and the type of role that they are in the offense. Is that a fair comparison in your eyes? I think um, I'm trying to. Th- we all knew Sam Rogers was a leader and really respected by his teammates, and Stephen Peoples is too. I don't know that Peoples is very vocal, yeah, um, but the coaches have said repeatedly that that one of the things they learned last year was that they had to manage him in practice, Peoples, because Peoples goes at everything really hard. Mm-hmm. So maybe you got to sit him out a little bit so he doesn't doesn't hurt himself or others. And Fuente also said. Uh, he didn't phrase it this way, but he said he's not a patient runner. If he sees a seam at all, he will go after it. Yeah. He Which won't. Be good or bad. He won't. Yeah, you know, it, it, either you're getting there quick as it opens up, or you're getting there quick as it's closing down. And maybe if you were more patient, you would have seen something else. 
Um, to me, the the beauty of Sam Rogers was that was that pass down the middle. Was was that an RPO they used to run? Man, it was the almost the Tebow jump pass type. I mean, yeah. So if you start seeing that with Peoples, then I will answer the question. Yes, I think that's a fair comparison. Well, actually, you saw it with Peoples because they ran. He was Sam Rogers' backup at H back two years ago. Yeah, and you know they ran a similar play. I think it was against Boston College that year to Peoples, and he dropped it. Uh, no, the, the the right over the middle. Because um, I, I remember Frank Beamer was was on the broadcast at that point, and he's like, "That's a good play calling right there." And then people's dropped it. <laughs> 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 and, uh, all right, the difference between the two is, you know, they're fairly similar in size. Uh, people's is a stronger guy, more physically strong than Sam Rogers. Rogers is a much more skilled guy. You can you can. Uh, Roger could catch the football. Oh, that catch he made on the yeah. sideline at Ohio oh, yeah, State. Yeah. He, 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 can make, he had good feet. He, you can, yeah. They would line him up, up in the slots on. I mean, he was a skilled player. I don't think Peoples is as skilled. Um, so that's the difference between the two. But, you know, their backgrounds is a walk-on. The, the respect level they have on the team, there are a lot of similarities. I'll tell you, coming from the 804, especially coming from Hanover County, Sam Rogers, he is the pride of Hanover County's Jared Goff referred to him as on uh, Twitter last year. He actually just signed with the uh, the Buffalo Bills. So, uh, How many Virginia Tech players play for the Buffalo Bills? <laughs> yeah, if, if the Steelers and the uh, Bills played each other. you know, And the Redskins. Yeah, yep. It's those like the three uh, th- three destination spots. All right, continuing on the Tech Sideline podcast, second one of the 2018-2019 school year leading up to the Florida State game. We previewed it a little bit earlier. We then take, took a look at some of the uh, defensive side and offensive side of the ball. And now it is time for the highly anticipated prediction time. A little drum roll, please. Uh Guys, you guys wrote a great article yesterday. I had some others that cover Virginia Tech football chime in uh, on the prediction. So you both did uh, agree. You both have Florida State coming away. What do you think – how did you come to that prediction, starting with you, Will? I think think for me it's going to come down to – I just see those backs for Florida State in particular breaking free a few times. If you think back to the Clemson game last year, Tech was doing okay. And then, they, and then they really blew a coverage. You know, Chris can remember the details. I don't remember who caught it, how long it was. Two plays in that game that really made me angry. And that was, uh, you know, I think Clemson was up 3 to nothing, and then they got the ball back. And then Tech just busted a coverage, and they were running back one out. Went 70 out yards or yep. something like that. Nobody was there. Yeah, well. And then uh, a drive or two later, Clemson had the ball. Tech kind of backed up, like, third and long on Clemson's 5 or 10-yard line. Really, Dave? Like third and 18 or something like that. And and Tech had Kelly Bryant dead to rights, and he broke a tackle of, like, Emmanuel Belmore and Matua Puaka and scrambled and picked up a first down. I mean, it should have easily been tackled. And uh, and the only other player I remember from that game is Greg Stroman's punt return. Right, right. And, and they, they were not X. And none of those situations was, was an X's and O's thing. It was just players either making physical or mental mistakes. Yeah, so – um, I, I think ultimately that's going to be the difference in the game. And I know that prediction is playing it safe. You know, what if Florida State does struggle to run that offense? What if they put the ball on the ground a couple of times? I had, a, I said this on the boards. I had some random vision yesterday morning of, of Florida State being down inside Tech's 20, throwing a pass to the flat, and a Tech defensive back picks it off and runs it back 80 yards for a touchdown. It's a nice vision. Uh, yeah, you know, is it a premonition or is it a vision? We might, we might be putting this up as we lead off the podcast next week. Could uh, could be coming true. Well, I hope so. You know, um, so but I just say I think playing the predictions safe. Florida State's talent level and home overall talent level. Don't get me wrong, I like Virginia Tech's talent. Mm-hmm. I think Florida State's overall talent level and home field advantage will 
I, I would be surprised if they blew Virginia Tech out by two or three or four scores. Um, but I've been surprised before. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I was very close to picking Virginia Tech in this game. I, I think it's a very even matchup. Um, you know, Florida State does have more overall talent, but, you, you know, you can only put 11 guys on the field at a time. Um, and I really think Justin Fuente is an elite coach. Uh, I, I think – Florida State runs a fairly simple offense, and, and that can be good or bad. And Bud Foster, you know, might be good for Virginia Tech. So, yeah. So let me jump in here and say, when you're running a uh, when you're running a simple offense, then what becomes paramount is execution. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not there yet, execution wise. I could I could see this game being a game that Virginia Tech's defense really plays really, really, really well, except for like two or three plays. And Virginia Tech plays such young linebackers this this year that you know, I could just see one of those guys missing a gap. Cam Akers is going to take that sucker 80 yards because he's a future first-round pick. And Florida State's linebackers are going to make mistakes too because we hear they aren't very good. But Virginia Tech doesn't return a running back that had a carry longer than 23 yards last year. So when Florida State, their linebackers make that mistake, is Deshaun McLeese going to pick up 80 yards or 15 yards? I mean, that, that that's – to me, that's going to be the difference in the game. So what if they do spring Stephen Peoples behind the defense? Florida State's got defensive backs that can clean up the messes that their linebackers make. All right, Chris, fill, uh, fill in the sense for me. Virginia, Tech's, Virginia Tech beats Florida State if? Oh, if they can limit the big plays. Uh, and now, you know, if they can avoid that Cam Akers long touchdown run, maybe generate one of their own, or even if they don't generate one of their own, if they can uh, prevent that – Big play by Cam Akers or Kalon LeBorn or, or whoever, and be plus one or plus two in turnovers, and I think they'll win the game. Would you like to chime in as well, finish the sentence? I'm thinking that's how I'd finish that sentence. You know, um, we, we, we didn't give a nod to special teams there. Um, and Sheepist is a genius. Sheepist is the best special teams in the coach in the country as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so in, 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 in big games, you've seen Tech really pull rabbits out of the hat with, with trick plays. And Sheepist has had the whole, whole offseason to think of that trick. Yeah, play. so – uh, you might see Virginia Tech uncork something, and maybe the difference between winning and losing is instead of faking a punt and picking up 15 yards, they fake a punt and pick up a touchdown. Right. Oscar yeah. Bradburn throws the game one touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> Just like we predicted. Number one on Sports Center, play for the week. Yeah, that would be. I've also I've also got Florida State as well, though. I really think that this this is an even matchup. I also think home field advantage is is going to play a factor. I mean, that is a loud crowd down in Tallahassee. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a, I'm not close to being. I'm like 51. Percent confident in my pick, and, and you know I've got to write the game preview. You know it'll come out today, also. Um, but I, I haven't put my prediction down to paper yet, and I'm honestly still going back in my head. I had to make that prediction that, that came out on TSL earlier this week because we were combining with VT Scoop and Andy Bitter. But I made that prediction before I'd done my research on Florida State, and obviously a Florida State depth chart did not come out until yesterday, so I had to make that prediction before I could even study a depth chart. Um, I'm not saying I'm not going to change my mind. Briefly, I do want to hit on this. You both agreed on record for Virginia Tech this year. You both have them going 9-3. and three. However, you do differ at some of the wins and losses. So, uh, Will, I'll start with you. Where do you have those three losses coming and any marquee victories you have Virginia Tech picking up? I believe I said they'd lose to Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh. Does that ring a bell? Um which means they're going to beat Miami and Notre Dame. So that tells you who I think the marquee wins will be. Um, and I said in the text that accompanied that, I said, if that, if that seems weird, well, then I think that's, that perfectly encapsulates the Jekyll and Hyde nature that you get from a young team. 
they'll they'll do something impressive and then do something that makes you shake your head the next week. So uh, that's kind of my thinking on it. And I also said if they finish with uh, is Miami the next to last game, Chris? It is. It's before Virginia. Beat Miami, beat Virginia, um, win a bowl game. You know, it's going to smell a little bit like 1998 around here. I'm not saying next year is going to be 1999. I'm just saying nine and three. Uh, you know, with a with a bullet going into next year. Yeah, uh, I had nine and three also. I think I had them losing to Florida State, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech probably. Excuse me, if I if they win a bowl game, they'll be ten and three. Right. Sorry about that. Right, right, regular season. Um, I, and I think what'll be interesting. First of all, Notre Dame's running game last year was so good, and Tech's defense is so young at linebacker this year. That's why I'm picking Notre Dame. Um, although, to be fair, Notre Dame's got to improve in the passing game. One-dimensional teams normally don't beat Bud Foster. And Georgia Tech is just that funky offense, and Virginia Tech's breaking in so many new defenders, and they're not used to playing that defense. Uh, and and Fuente has not proven that he can beat Georgia Tech. Yeah, we got to score some points against him this year. Yeah, uh, two know. years ago, it was 20 to nothing at halftime. And the defense really didn't play that bad outside of one play in the first half, but the offense didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, and Gerard Evans did not see the field that day, and then – you know, last year they went down there with Jackson banged up and no left tackle, and Cam Phillips banged up, and they, you know that, that was just. And they had one fewer day to prepare because of the the, tri, the travel difficulties coming back from Miami. It was after That's Miami, right. yeah. yeah. They got yeah, home. So everything kind of lined up against them in that game. Um, and th- this year, I think it would be about the experience on the defense. But I'm telling you, man, if one of those three losses that I have is to Notre Dame, that means I'll go six and two in the Coastal with a win over Miami. So. How does Miami do? Do they lose another game besides Virginia Tech? Because if they do lose another game, that would put Virginia Tech in the Coastal Division or as the Coastal Division champion. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out, and I think I put this in a message board post as well. If you, if go and look at Miami's schedule. When they come to play Virginia Tech, that's the end of four out of five games where they go on the road, uh-huh. including I think their only home game is against Duke. So in that stretch, they're playing at BC, very physical team, at Georgia Tech the week before they play at Virginia Tech. So I think it's completely reasonable to pick Tech to beat Miami. Yeah, Georgia Tech will uh, knock those knees and ankles up. Well, and, and not saying this is the same team from last year, but you remember there was a stretch about three weeks of Miami when they were about 7-0. They nearly lost to North Carolina. Oh, they were winning uh, by one score. I mean, I mean, Rozier was struggling. I mean, they – in my North eyes – North Carolina didn't almost beat anybody last year. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And they were lucky to go 11-1 and in the regular season, in my eyes, Miami, in um, the way they – did so. I right, last Wait thing. A minute, were they eleven and one or ten and two? No, they were eleven and one. They lost to Pitt in the last, At the last game. game. Oh, and then they lost the ACC well, championship the game, and then the ball yes. game. Okay. Yeah, get honestly, their quarterback play wasn't good enough. Malik, Malik Rozier is not a very good quarterback, or he wasn't last year. Right. Um, so. I just, I really like Tech's chances in that game. All right, last thing on the Florida State-Virginia Tech game. This was really interesting that ESPN uh, put out a statement about earlier in the week of how they're going to give this the megacast treatment uh, on Labor Day. I I do want to run through what the megacast format entails. Traditional broadcast, coaches room with former college head coaches, My personal favorite, I'll get to in a minute, the blimp cam with Marty Smith and Ryan McGee. You'll have command center where you can split your screen with different different forms of the megacast. You'll have data center, sky cam, and something called all 22, which is literally an angle of all players on the field the entire time. So I will start with you, Will. If you weren't covering the game, what kind of megacast uh, broadcast would you watch? I'm going to fudge my answer by saying I DVR all of them. 
Um, I, I'm a, a I'm trying to remember. I guess it was the championship game where they did that last year, and uh, football guys appreciate just watching the the football coaches talk about it. They'll they'll they won't say interesting stuff, and then they'll say really interesting stuff. Right. You know, and 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 they the interesting thing about watching the football coaches is they see stuff coming. Like, oh, they're going to do this here, you know, and and then they do it. Watch Tony Romo. Uh, break down an NFL game. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. I, I agree. I think yeah. the guy should be a defensive coordinator. He knows everything <laughs> the offenses are going to do. So, I don't know, man. That's a lot to pick from. Um, I, I would not go with the blimp cam. Um, I would find the all-22, the thing to watch for a while, but then you lose your – because it's, it's from the end zones, correct? Right. Yep. Yeah. You lose your, your kind of depth perception. It's the same as if you sat in the end zone at a game. You uh, use the all-22 to break down film afterwards. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So, make sure you DVR that part. That's true. Um, well, actually, we'll get our true analyst to do that. Uh, to, to get more bang for your buck there. Let, let me say before you go, Chris, I am ecstatic. If this, if I wasn't watching this game, if it wasn't Virginia Tech, I would watch that blimp cam the entire game because I, I think Marty Smith and Ryan McGee, those two together are two of the funniest individuals you can find on uh, at least ESPN. I mean, I think they're awesome. I like Marty Smith a lot. How zoomed in is the blimp cam? Here? That, that, that's what I don't know. And I, I mean, honestly, I would watch the regular edition because I think the production value in ESPN product, produced game is outstanding yep. these days. So, you know, f- say what you want about their business model. And, and, and their studio and, shows, and, which are you know, SEC bias or whatever. But the production value for a, for a game on ESPN is awesome. So I'm going to watch their regular broadcast. Uh, so... Is, is how is Marty Smith going to call a game from a blimp? I, I think is, it's is more gonna, like... Is he going to have a monitor and, and and be able to watch the regular broadcast? Are they doing play-by-play? I think, it's more of like a, I think it's more of like a talk show, just kind of talking yeah, I think about just the game. The bowl. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm very, very curious Man, to see. Uh, you know, Marty Smith's a tech fan. He uh, is. Yeah, he went to Radford. He's from Southwest yeah. Virginia. He, said he, he did the pregame talk before the 2015 Miami game, as, for as much as that helped. <laughs> <laughs> 2014, excuse me. Um, uh, but if I'm Marty Smith, man, I'd love to take a ride in a blimp, but can I please do this another game and just let me sit back on my couch and watch Virginia Tech play? They, they keep putting him in the most interesting – you know, he went to Rome with uh, uh, with Michigan. Okay. Uh, I mean, he, he goes all over the place for ESP. He's, he's definitely someone very interesting. Um, to watch. All right. Well, something we're going to do for the podcast we talked about earlier in the week. I'm going to do a poll question of the week where you uh, Tech Sideline listeners can participate. Uh, that's on my Twitter, but also retweeted at Tech Sideline. So be sure to participate. And that will also have questions at the end of every podcast for Will and Chris. So I, I thought it was because I keep watching Hard Knocks. I've never watched it before, but this year I have. I've watched every episode with my roommates. I'm all interested in, in just watching Tyrod. But you'll hear Hugh Jackson and his teammates call him Tyrod. The narrators will call him Tyrod. The broadcasters will call him Tyrod. We talked about it last week, so I wanted to put this to bed once and for all. And Hokie Nation came out in a big way. Final results of the poll. We had 594 votes. 90% goes Tyrod and 10% to Tyrod. I thought it was actually going to be a little bit bigger than that. I think 90 to 10 is pretty... Uh, yeah, that other 10% needs to explain themselves. <laughs> Um, maybe because it's they they heard that his mom calls him Tarod, so I can't go against Mama. Right. I guess his real name's Tarod. If, if if that's what the Browns say, if that's what the announcers have been told to call it, I guess that's what his name is. But his teammates and his all his friends call him Tyrod. He clearly doesn't care. Yep. No. We'll have the next poll question out uh, next Tuesday after the game for uh, for the podcast of next week. All right. Week. So don't forget we got to do the uh, the uh, quote in my. 
profile before we yes, go. Yes, yes, I will not. For, I will get that right after this. Our fan question. We have one this week from at Nolan Knight Jr., who has a question for you, too. He writes, do you think the 1995 season for Virginia Tech was more important for the success of the Virginia Tech football program today or the ACC championships won in the 2000s? Tough question. Yeah, Evan's going to have to cut out the dead air when he edits this while, yeah. we, while we think about it. All right, repeat it to me. Start to finish. Do you think the 1995 season for Virginia Tech was more important for the success of the Virginia Tech program today or the ACC championships won in the 2000s? I got an answer. Go ahead. Lead it's, us off. It's the, it's the ACC championships. Uh, one of the things I like to talk a lot about is as good as Tech was in 95 and 96 and as important as the 95 Sugar Bowl win was and as good as it felt and the Orange Bowl they went to the next year. If you go back and look at attendance figures in 97 and 98, Tech didn't – they didn't sell out season tickets. I remember the, going to the Rutgers game in 98 and there was like 40,000 people there. Yeah, so it, it didn't elevate the program. Um, yeah, it made us all feel good. We like to talk about it, but it didn't elevate the program. I'm not sure the ACC championships elevated the program either, but let's see. They won it in 2004, uh, 2007, and 8, and 10. 7, 8, and 10 were, is a time when the offense was starting to go downhill. The fans were starting to get on the coaches about the offense. Uh, Chris helped me out here. Was it was it 06 and 07? Where they, well, they, were, they didn't lose very much, but when they lost, it was – Freaking Kansas, and then blowing a lead against Georgia, and then Boise's, you know, choking it against Boise State. I and mean, there was a there was a year or two where they gave up more than fifty sacks, which is an insane number. If Virginia Tech had not been winning ACC championships while the offense was playing like that, mm-hmm. I think there would have been just the fans just would have gone nuts. Oh yeah. So the point I'm making is, and I, I, this may not be how he wanted me to answer the question, but looking back on it. That's all that kept that from being a very difficult time, I think. That, 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 those are very good points. Um, I, I, to me, I, I'll – it's difficult talking about one game, but, but you know, if I talked about the, the Sugar Bowl and then the back-to-back Big East titles taken collectively in 95 and 96, I would say that was more important because that 98 recruiting class was, was really good. It featured Lee Suggs and Michael Vick. I mean, do you make the national championship game without Michael Vick? And without Michael Vick, do you end up signing the 2001 recruiting class and the 2003 recruiting class that was filled with your Xavier DBs and uh, so the ripple effects Walls and Brian Randalls and, and things like that? So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. But uh, I, I do think that if it wasn't for, like, the magic that happened in 1995, that I, you don't know if the program's advanced enough by 1998 to bring in the house rights and the Lee Suggs and, and the Michael Vicks. And, and that Solid point. All right, well, definitely a great debate. Thank you, at Nolan Knight Jr. for your question. Again, tweet at Tech Sideline. If you have a question for next week's podcast, we'll answer it at the end of the podcast. All right, Will, let's talk about your Twitter bio that we talked about at the beginning. What is the answer to the question? So the lyric is, roll down the glass and give me some wind. And that is from ZZ Top, a song called Thug. And it was, uh, I can't remember if it was on the Eliminator album or the Afterburner album, but it's, it's, a, it's a song that ZZ Top is not known for that I've always really liked. And I think what we ought to do is 
no, we do not have the copyright to do this, but I think we ought to lead next week's podcast with a little bit of thug. So we'll do it once, see if we can get away with it without getting our hands slapped. And uh, so you get to listen to a little sample of it at the beginning of next week's podcast. What's the over-under on percentage of how many of your uh, quotes come from the 1980s? About uh, 110 percent of my quotes will come from the '80s. You need to pick some from a little more modern. Every now and then, uh, it's just not how I roll, man. Like, so like, I'll tell you to pick some Deadwood quotes, but they wouldn't be appropriate. You know what? I'll, I'll go dig a quote up from the movie uh, "She's Out of My League" because I watched that last night. I'll dig, I heard I'll dig a quote I need to watch that. that movie. I heard good things about that. Yeah. Well, so we'll have a new one for next week to go along with our poll question. and uh, That's yeah. true. I should change it every week. Yeah. It, it gets a little taxing because you, you have to pick stuff that, that uh, not everybody knows. Like, you can't handle the truth. Everybody knows that one. Well, what about uh, – I used one recently that was, imagine something of your very own, something you can have at home. And that's a lyric from a uh, Blondie song. So, so you got to kind of – if you're challenging people to identify stuff without Googling it, you got to get kind of obscure. So – and that gets taxing if you do it on a weekly basis. Folks, make sure you're following us on social media at Tech Sideline on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, guys, there's a lot of great content on TechSideline.com. This week you've got your game preview coming out. Yeah, we'll have a Q&A. Um, we'll have a Brent, Brandon Patterson breakdown of Florida State, which should be really good also. And then I believe there's a hype video out right now as well on uh, TechSideline.com. It's very well done. So. V Tim Hokey eighty five. Hokey eighty five. I always want to keep calling him VT Hokey Tim. And, you know, I, right. I, I keep getting them all mixed up, but uh, yes, he does a great job on this video. Look, looking forward to uh, getting on TechSideline.com. Make sure uh, to answer or ask us some questions for next week's podcast. Again, at TechSideline for that. So next week we'll be breaking down Game One of Virginia Tech football. It is here. It's time to start jumping, Hokies fans, guys. Any last words before we sign off? I'm just so glad the football season is starting. And I know everybody agrees with me, and that's all i got to say. I'm very happy to be able to sit down on Saturday and watch games all day because most, most time you don't get to do that opening week of yeah. the season. So I'll get to sit there and watch all the afternoon games. It's going to be great. Can't wait to break it all down. Virginia Tech at Florida State Labor Day night, 8 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. For the head honcho, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, my name is Evan Hughes, saying so long from the Tech Sideline offices here in Blacksburg. We'll talk to you next week, Hokie fans. Mm-hmm.